I'm glad you're here. We're continuing uh, the series we started a few weeks ago on change. And so the first week we said, if you were here, you remember this, we had a big motorcycle up here on stage with a flat tire. And we said, look, everybody's got a flat tire somewhere. Everybody has an area in their life somewhere that needs change. Then last week we talked about moments of change. There are those moments when God shows up and changes something in a moment that you and I could not change in an entire lifetime. So during the first message we said, you have to take a step in the right direction. We talked about the prodigal son when he left the pig pen and he turned and started to walk toward home. Every journey starts with one step. And so he had to take the, uh, a step in the right direction. Then we said, not only do you have to take a step in the right direction, you only have to take one at a time. That's the good news. But you have to walk in the right direction. A moment of change most often is one step. But it must be followed by a walk in the right direction. So let me just kind of put a picture on that. If you've been delivered from an addiction, it's not enough to be free. You have to walk free. You understand what I'm saying? If, you, if you've been forgiven and you've been washed and you've been cleaned and you've been saved, it's not enough to be forgiven. You've got to walk forgiven. Jesus tells an interesting story in Luke chapter 11. He talks about a man who has a demon controlling him, his life. Would you, I'll just take a poll here, would you say that is a crisis? It's not a trick question. A man has a demon at the steering wheel of his life. Does anybody here recognize that as a crisis? Okay, all right, good. All right, we're together. At least 12 of you. Someone takes authority and removes the demon. The man is now free from sin. He's free from darkness. He's free from bondage. But the Bible says, Jesus tells in this uh, occurrence in Luke 11, you can read it yourself, when the demon's control is removed, he will leave he will go find seven other demons and he will come back to the same man and if he finds the man's life clean and in order but empty, he will take control over the man again and the man's end will be worse than the beginning. In other words, he will be worse off than he was when he had one demon controlling him because now he's got seven. So what we're saying this morning is, it's not enough to have a moment of change. You must walk in ongoing change. Matter of fact, when Jesus was telling the story, I never caught this until I was reading it again last night. I don't know if you have the habit that I do. Sometimes I read half stories. Anybody, anybody, we got any good skimmers in here? I'm an awesome skimmer. Cliff Notes was my friend when I went through high school. I I, I didn't catch it. Jesus tells the story. He tells that the man will be worse. And then a woman in the crowd cries out, the Bible says. And she says, blessed is the woman who gave you birth. Jesus, what is she saying? Jesus, you're telling the truth. That is a deep truth. That is an insightful truth. And, And blessed be the woman who brought you about so we could hear this. That's what he was saying. That's what she was saying. And you know what Jesus' response was? Fascinating. He said, no, no, no. The woman who gave me birth is not blessed. I'll tell you who's blessed. Blessed is the person who hears God's word and obeys it. You ever read that in there? That's good stuff. 
Let me, let me translate it another way. Blessed is the man who doesn't just have a moment of change, but lives in a pattern of change. Blessed is the man who doesn't take one step in the right direction, but starts to walk in the right direction. That's a whole different kind of change. So let me give you this morning my definition of a mature Christian. If you want to write it down, you can. I'll put it on the screen. This is just my, I, don't, I never read it anywhere. It's just how I think about it. A mature Christian is a person who never stops changing. A mature Christian is a person who never stops changing. When you think you've got it figured out, I grew up, I've been in church all my life, I know how church works, you sing, you take the offering, you pray, you read the Bible, you go home, you do your devotions, I've got it figured out. When you get there, you are a Pharisee. And you are done with change. And now you will seek to try to control by changing everything around you. And the change inside is stopped. And now you're trying to work change on the outside and you're trying to control. Jesus had no greater conflict while on earth than when he ran straight into those religious people. Until you and I talk, think, walk, act, are motivated in exactly the same way that Jesus was, we're not done changing. And last time I checked, like, I'm not there. Anybody else not there? I'm not, like, not enough like Jesus yet. So I need change. Change isn't a phase, it's not a stage, it's not a destination. Change is a life. Now, let me just kind of give you a, a picture for this morning. Um, I, I, I love to go outside. How many, how many out, outdoor people we got? I love to be outside. I'm all, it's outside, and Stacey will say, can we go in now? And I think, oh, you know, we've been out here two hours. It feels like we just got here. This is great. I love... Uh, summer nights. I love to go outside in the evening when things start to cool down, the bugs start to make all the noises they make, and it's finally the heat is relenting from the earth. It's a beautiful time. I love the summer. I love lakes and rivers and beach and mountains, and I'm one of those people that will always choose the beach over the mountains. Any beach people we got here? Come on. Yes. If I could put my feet in the sand, I'll go visit the mountains, but man, I love the beach. Now, it wasn't always that way, I didn't always love outdoors like that. I, I thought I did. I, I liked being out there. I hated being sunburned. Anybody hate being sunburned? Any other people like me? I liked to be out there. When I was a kid, I got uh, sunburned a lot. I mean, like, I'd go check the mail and at the mailbox across the street. I'd get sunburned. I'd come back cooked. My mom like, what have you done? I checked the mail. I don't know. The, the sun hates me. I'm like the whitest person you know. But I wanted it. I've embraced my whiteness. Like, it's taken a long time, but I finally embraced my whiteness. Well, well, look, you don't understand how white I am. When I would go out in the sun, I'd turn 12 shades of red. I'm talking about I look like a candy cane that's all red. When I went outside, I'd always have to have the talk. Oh, not again. My parents would sit me down. Now, look, you're not like your sister. She's dark, and you're not. You're white. And when you go out there, you're going to get sunburned. So you've got to be careful, and you've got to watch yourself, and you've got to be smart, and you've got to be wise. You're telling a 12-year-old kid that, you might as well just throw your money out the window. I mean, it's going nowhere. I remember going to a state park once uh, near our house. My sister took me, who's, who's tan, and she got the tan gene. I didn't get it. And we had this big swimming pool there, and so I went swimming. I was out there about 12.30 having a blast. My parents had done just grilled me. You're going to die. You're going to cook. You're going to go to the hospital. You can't stay out there too long. You've got to protect yourself. And, and so I'm out there, but I couldn't feel it. I was having so much fun. I'm just swimming laps. It's an Olympic-sized pool, three levels of diving boards. I'm jumping off that, swimming, being thrown in by bigger kids. I'm just stroking it out there, having a good time, smiling. I couldn't feel the burn coming. I couldn't feel it. I never had any sense. 
Then I got home and my parents looked at me and said, what did you do? You almost killed yourself. And for days I'm inside and my skin is cooked and I got sun bubbles and I'm burnt and I'm suffering and I'm hot. And you, 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 anybody know what the sunburn shower's like? You get done and everywhere water touches, it's like cooking it up. Like somebody poured baking grease on you. It is cooking. And, and I, I'm blistered. And it's just suffering. Now, you would think a guy like me would not have gone to college in a state like Florida. But I did. I got burned so bad one time in Florida, I probably should have gone to the hospital, but I didn't have enough sense to do that. The longest single night of my life I spent after a terrible sunburn, I got sun poisoning. I didn't even know what it was yet. I had to find out later what it was. But I'm going to tell you, the longest night of my life was laying there, biting the mattress in excruciating pain. What sun poisoning is, for those of you who've never had it, less white people, let me tell you what it is. What happens is, is you get fried, and then your skin starts to heal, and underneath the nerve endings are moving like this, and you have like death by a thousand itches. You itch everywhere, but your skin is so tender and fried, you can't touch it and itch it. It is like constant moving. So I'd get up and go get in the cold shower. Then I'd come lay down in the wet. Then I'd take a beach towel and wet it down. Then I'd, then I'd come back and lay down. It was terrible. Listen, I, I got saved that night. I've been to hell. It's hot. I get it. I know what hell's like. I don't want to go back. You have to tell me about hell. I've been there. I understand this. It's not right. So I thought if I would just stay out in the sun long enough, I would build up a tan, and then I'd be able to stay outside longer. I did the opposite of most of the Christian bumper stickers that you've read. I burned, then turned. You know what I'm saying? Then one day, one day, somebody told me about something that entered my life. Anybody recognize this? Sunblock, yes. I didn't know anything about that. Because my sister was always tan and she was older than me. Do you remember that little cocoa butter, coconut in the brown bottle oil stuff? You'd, people pour on them. So she would go get like on a sheet of tinfoil out in the driveway and pour. She was like, like a chicken tender out there cooking in the driveway. Man, if I'd have done that, if I'd have put that on, I'd have walked outside and spontaneously, it was, I'd have been like, hey, she's gone up in flames. Like the burning bush. She was actually trying to attract the sun. Now, uh, uh, so... This became a big deal in my life. Now, before this, there was something else that they used to try to say was sunscreen, but it really wasn't. I remember, uh, remember the rub-on? Remember that? The smear-on, rub-on, like Sears weather beater, three-ply. Some of you going, what does this have to do with Jesus? Just hang on. It's coming. The smear-on, rub-on powder, you'd put it on, and then you'd have patches of sunburn because you couldn't quite ever get it everywhere. You'd be fried in a hole. Like one hole in your back would just be cooking straight in. Then you'd have to wear a shirt anyway. And remember that? And then if you would sweat, it would rain down the chemical in your eye and it'd be like acid rain in your eye sockets. Burn. I can remember when Stacy and I were, um, I think uh, either we were just married or we were uh, engaged or day, something. And we went to Wet n' Wild in Orlando. And we got to these little water tubes. And we said, hey, it, what would be cool is it would be cutesy. You go to your little tube, and I go to my little tube, and we'll go down at the same time, and they spun over top of each other like that. And then you shoot out the end. And I thought, this would be so fun. You know, one, we're looking at each other, one, two, three, and woo, we go. Well, I had so much sunblock on, I got to the first turn and stuck. Like, <laughs> my, my, yeah. 
and water is shooting out the back, parting my hair in the back like this. And I'm going, and then so finally I get going down and I pop out. She's standing at the bottom of my tube going, where have you been? I don't know. That sunblock on, I don't know. But maybe you've tried that version and I thought, why do I have to be bubble boy? Why do I have to just live in enclosures all my life? And I remember arguing with a friend who first told me about this. He said, have you tried sunblock? I said, I've tried it, it'll burn your eyes. He said, it won't burn your eyes. I said, it'll come off in the water. He said, it won't come off in the water. I said, you'll get stuck in water tubes. He said, you won't get stuck in water tubes. He said, you just spray it on. I said, you do what? You spray it on and it stays? What? Now look, most people use SPF 15. I use SPF 100. It's called total eclipse. When I first saw it, I thought, this... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, yeah. You're going to have to laugh for the people that are in family experience because they're not here to fill in the spot for you. When I first saw it, I thought, this is too good to be true. The first time I put it on and I went outside and I stayed like longer than I should, I stood out there and I thought, there's no way it can work twice. This is too good to be true. I can come out of my bubble and I can live like other humans and I can go outside. This past summer, we went on a mission trip to Honduras. I worked outside from morning till dinner and I didn't get burned at all. You know why? Because I had sunblock on. And I learned a very important lesson. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I learned a very important lesson. Information plus application equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. I knew about sunscreen. I had the information. I heard people talk about it. I saw it at the store. In the summer, you have to hurdle over this gigantic wall. It's like the like the great China wall of China of sunscreen to even get in Walmart. Like I saw it, but I dismissed it because I didn't totally understand. And it didn't help me apply it and reapply it and reapply it. And once I've learned about it and started applying it regularly, it has absolutely changed my life. Information plus application equals transformation. So let me say it like this. I really struggled with this word information. There was no best word I could find for there, so just kind of stay with me on that. What I'm saying to you is all information is not the same. God-given information. So I thought, well, I could say revelation, but I can't say revelation because some of you will think uh, something ethereal in the air that God's got to show you. Listen, God already showed you. He showed you in 66 books worth. This is revelation. So you don't have to wait for God to show you something in the Bible. He, he already showed it to you when he wrote it down. You with me? So I couldn't really use revelation because the because the end time people would misunderstand what that means. So I thought about knowledge. It's not about education. That's not it either. God-given information plus application equals transformation. Jesus promised to give us an abundant life, and that's only possible through transformation. Now, a lot of people think that information equals transformation. I I I remember when I was... uh, uh, at Bible school, and I had to do a big buddy thing, I'd go to a local school and hang out with an underprivileged kid, and the truck that would come from the Board of Education City would say, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. That's what our education system teaches us. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. It is not power. Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Information alone will not change your life. God-given information applied to your life consistently over time will transform your life. And I'll show that to you in just a minute. So we've been raised in that culture where we think information is transformed. Let me give you a, a, 
example of that in the church culture. That's why we have so many classes and Bible studies and bookstores and resources. We are the most over-resourced generation in American history and the least changed. Now let me tell you why I think we're the least changed. Information doesn't necessarily equal transformation. In the speed of this new age, we're struggling to understand how to apply what we already know or have access to. It's, that's, that's the word on the street. It's not, how do I find out? I already know. How do I do it? How do I make this fit in my life? Do you have any idea what work is like? Do you have any idea what it's like to parent in this present culture? Do you have any idea what it's like to face the education machine that's out there? Do you have any idea what it's like to face the present culture and entertainment and pornography and and greed and lust? Do you have any idea what it's like to live Christianity in this? Information is not the problem. Lack of resource is not the problem. We are struggling to figure out how to apply it in this time. Because these are the most challenging times anybody alive today can remember in terms of living a Christian life. So when we tap into that, we will better understand how transformation happens. So let's look at those one at a time. Information. Now maybe if you grew up in the South or you grew up in a Christian home or a Christian culture, I bet you, you know the same two prayers that I know. Remember the prayer you used to pray at bedtime? Now I lay me, come on. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That is the freakiest prayer you could ever teach a child. That's like straight out of a horror movie. What you're basically telling the child to pray is, I'm probably going to die sometime in the middle of the night while I'm asleep and I won't even know it and I'll never see my parents again. Jesus, come get me. That's terrible. Why do we do that? Then there's the other prayer that we pray before we eat. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. Amen. What if you and I could wrap our mind around that little bit of information? What if we could wrap our mind around that thought that God is great and God is good? So I want you to do something with me this morning. Just, just hold, hold your hands out like this. It's not, nothing, no big deal. No, no, nothing big is going to happen here. I just want you to somehow grab onto this. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, with your left hand say, God is great. Just close your hand. God is good. One more time. God is great. God is good. If we can get a handle on that information, it will change our life. If we only knew those two things about God, it would be enough. God is all-powerful, but God is all-good. In other words, He's full of love. If God were great, but He were not good, we should fear for our lives. If God were good, but He were not great, He would not be worthy of our worship. Paul wrote in Romans 11, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, to people uh, who, had, who had the church at Rome. There was a group of Christians who had a church in Rome. That's a whole fascinating story. And he gave us some revelations about God that are very deep in Romans eleven thirty three. I want to read it. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, God's knowledge and wisdom is deep. How unsearchable are His judgments. In other words, there's nobody smart enough to understand why God does what He does. Or, or, we, we don't have the capacity. And His paths are beyond tracing. In other words, we can't predict which path God's going to take. Because He's that awesome. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? In other words, where does God get advice from? God didn't get advice from anybody. 
He doesn't need any. He's self-contained. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Not only does God not need advice, God doesn't need anything. He's got everything. He is everything. He's, he's got it all. So God is great. If God is great, what that means is, is his plans are greater than our plans, and his ways are greater than our ways, and his hopes are greater than our hopes, and his word is greater than our feelings. And then verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is great. That's what Paul just said. And God is good. Now we say God's good. In our culture, we are taught to think about ourselves as a good person. I'm, people are basically good is what our culture teaches you. Do you know that's not true and it's not what the Bible teaches? You and I are not really good. Like, not when you compare us to God. We're not really good. We're not really motivated in the right way at the right time. We're not, we're not, really, we're not really good. I, I, I remember um, one Christmas sitting at home. Uh, like, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but uh, I, I come from a very uh, complicated and, and broken and dysfunctional life. And I can remember going home for Christmas one day and a lot of my family was there and I don't, on the way home, we were riding in the car and uh, one of my sons said to me, he said, are you sure you're from here? I said, yeah. Like, were you adopted? No. And, and you know what it just reminded me of? The only difference is the mercy of God. I looked at them and said, I am them. That is who I am. If it weren't for God. That's what I am. That's who I am. That's what I would be. That's how I would live. That's how I would think. That's how I would do life. Except for the mercy of God. God is so good, He doesn't want anything bad for us, and there isn't one person in this room who has any regrets, who've completely surrendered to the way God wanted you to do something. I mean, go ahead and line up. Let's line up and have a testimony time this morning of all the people who surrendered to God's way on something and regretted it. There is not one. All my regrets come from not doing things God's way. That's where mine come from, when I took my own path. Information, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what challenges I go through, no matter what I think, no matter what I feel, I'm going to trust what God says and who God is because at the end of the day, God is great and God is good. And I'm going to trust Him. Information, I'm going to trust the truth that He's revealed. I'm going to trust His revelation to my life. Now, here's this, the second thought about it. The, there's nothing wrong with the resource. The resource is good. The information is good. Now, let's talk about the application. That's where the change comes in. This is where change actually happens. Romans 12, we're just staying in the same uh, uh, book, going to the next chapter. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of... See, there it is. In view of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy in view of the reality that God has bestowed upon you such unfathomable and unlimited mercy because God gave you something so incredible that you and I cannot deserve or earn. In view of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, this is very strange language. 
Living sacrifice. It's very strange language even for the Bible. Do you know those two words do not appear anywhere else in the Old Testament and New Testament together? Nowhere. Living sacrifice. And it's confusing because every time you read about sacrifice in the Bible, it means something gets burned or something gets killed. Or then it gets killed and burned. And so you say, I'm supposed to be one of those? What do I do, just get every morning and set myself on fire? I mean, for me, I'll just go outside without sunblock and it'll fix it all. I'll just go up in flames. Is that what God wants for me? To kill myself? To burn myself? What does it mean that I am the sacrifice? I thought, I thought the, 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 the animals in the Old Testament were the sacrifice. I thought in the New Testament Jesus was the sacrifice. What are you talking about that I need to be a living sacrifice? Let me give you a great rule of Bible interpretation. When you don't understand what you're reading, keep reading. Look at verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you and I become living sacrifices? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. I am a living sacrifice to God when I allow the change that He wants to bring in my life for Him to keep bringing it. When I embrace His information, when I embrace it and I apply it to my life, I have become to Him a living sacrifice. When my mind is renewed, watch this, I can then get a better, clearer picture that God is as great as He says. Because sometimes I forget. Sometimes I have Mondays. Sometimes I have down days. Sometimes I... Any of you have any bad days? Am I the only one? Nobody else has bad days? I have some bad days. And on those days, I tend to forget how great God is. And sometimes when my life is struggling, I even forget how good He is. Because my mind is going backwards and it is not renewed. But when I take the truth of God's Word, when I take the information and the revelation that He's giving me and I pour it into my mind and I begin to put it in my feet and in my hands and I begin to live it out, my mind is renewed and I can stand and say, God, you are great and God, you are good. Greater in fact than I thought and better in fact than I thought. And that's what happens. We are breaking the pattern of the world. You see that? Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Do you know when you were born, you adopted certain patterns and ways of living that have to be retrained when you're born again? They have to be changed. And that's what I'm saying a mature Christian is. A person that never stops changing the pattern of life. We constantly take on... The old patterns of the world are coming off and the new patterns of the kingdom are coming in. When I first became a Christian, my thinking was so broken. I thought things about myself. I thought things about the world. I thought things about relationships. I thought things about God. I thought things about everything that were broken and backwards. And the only way I could change is have that thinking shed off my mind like an old snake skin because new thoughts, new information was being poured in and I was acting on the information that I had. My thinking had to be adjusted. Here's the best way I know how to describe it. When we lived in Mississippi, we lived for a few years uh, uh, at a house on 111 Lassier Circle. 111 Lassier Circle. After a few years, we, we bought a house and moved. We moved four blocks away. Like, you know, you could walk. We just, we forgot something, we'll walk over there and get it. No problem. Be right back. We moved four blocks away, and uh, one evening after a long day of work, I, I had, um, we had moved and kind of decorated the house and unpacked and all that. We'd been living there a few months. 
And, and, and one day, I just sort of went on all apologize. You ever pull up in the driveway after a long day and you don't remember how you got there? Anybody? You're just like, did I? Which road did I take? Oh, did I run a red light? Jesus, please, don't tell me I ran a red light. Why is the cop following me? Did I do something? Because your mind goes on autopilot, right? You've been on that route so many times, you just keep doing it. Well, that's what happened to me. I pull up in front of the house, and there's a car in the driveway. I go, who's, who's at our house? Then I thought, wait a minute, I don't live here anymore. Is that my house? Look, can you imagine how awkward it would be? I'm glad I noticed. Thought, oh, yeah, that's old so-and-so coming down to see us. You just walk in, open the fridge, get a bottle of water, plop my feet up on the ottoman there, turn on sports center, start drinking water. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Hey, hey, you don't live here anymore. You, you, this isn't your house anymore. This is what it's like when you turn your life over to Jesus. I can remember my old life. I can remember the patterns. I can remember where the bathroom was and where the bedroom was and where the shed was out back. I can remember where the light switch was. I can remember the way I used to live, but certain ways of thinking, but I don't live there anymore. Now that you've moved to a new kingdom. Now your citizenship is not on earth but in heaven. You have a new location. Now you think different about finances and your job and marriage and sex and parenting and relationships and the life that you live now. That's the old pattern, but you don't live there anymore. You've moved. Shake off the old residence. Shake off the old pattern. And the only way you can do that is not by determination. It's not by grit. It's not because you grunt and grit your teeth. It's because you've got to be a living sacrifice. You've got to sacrifice your mind to God and say, Lord, my thoughts are not my thoughts, they're yours. Fill my mind with your thoughts and, and may, I, may I act them out. We did an entire series this summer on the book of James. That's basically the thought of the book of James. It's not by knowing that you're changed, it's by doing. Not hearing, right, but doing. Contrary to popular belief, when you follow Jesus, you don't lose all your old desires. You don't lose all your old feelings. Man, I, I, I remember when I first got, uh, became a Christian and I went to, had the opportunity to go to youth camp and, and then even attended some youth camps as a, as a um, youth pastor, young. You know, I'd hear the, every, everybody's going to straighten out the young people. Everybody's going to help the young people, you know. Uh, young people, everybody look at me. When, when you get saved, you're not even going to want to have sex anymore. I don't know why we told people stupid stuff like that. Anybody found that to be true at all? Why would we set... You're not even going to desire things anymore. You're not even going to have desires. You're not even going to have thoughts. Man, I have. So maybe I'm failing. But I got a pretty good suspicion you have too. Because it's not true. Just because you moved out of that house doesn't mean you don't remember where the light switch is. Just because you moved out of that house doesn't mean you remember how you felt when you were in it. Just because you moved out of that house doesn't mean that you don't sometimes want to go back to it. Just because you moved out of that house doesn't mean that on some days it looks better to you than your new house. But what you have to say underneath the authority of God's Word is, I don't live there anymore. I have moved out and I have moved on and the only way to conquer those old desires is to break the worldly pattern to renew your mind. When you renew your mind, you can think right. When you can think right, you can act right. And then you will see change. When I continually apply God's Word to my life, transformation... So what am I saying? I sprayed this on one time and I'm protected from the sun for life? <laughs> no! 
That was actually the biggest shock I'd. I put it on. He said, hey, you need some? No, I put it on this morning. That had to be eight or ten hours ago. I'm sure I'm still good. How many, how many of you ever had that, that deal? Like you put it on and it wore off? Yes. You have to apply, and you have to apply again. And you have to reapply and reapply and reapply and reapply. What if, for the next six months, the husbands in this church said, they said, for six months, I'm going to love my wife like Jesus loved the church. I don't care what she does. I don't care what she says. I don't care if she criticizes me. And I know some days are going to be harder than others. I don't care if she disrespects me. But for six months, my focus is going to be to love my wife like Jesus loved the church. How many of you think that taking that information and applying it would bring change? Yes? What if every wife in our church said, I, for the next six months, I am going to respect my husband even when he acts in a way that is not respectable. Got quiet on that one. Even when he's not the man that I wished he was, I am going to unconditionally respect him. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Some days are going to be easy. Some days are going to be great. But I am going to respect him because Ephesians tells me to. I'm going to apply that information how many of you think things would start to change? Boy, we're talking, kind of having family experience in here too, aren't we? I'm telling you, when you take God's Word, when you take the information that He's giving you, you can't apply it all at once. You can't even remember it all at once. I can't remember it all at once. But the Holy Spirit will lead you. And He will guide you. And He will emphasize certain things to you in your life and say, all right, now for this season, how long? I don't know. Only He knows. Remember the verse in Romans 11.33? There's no depth. The depth of his wisdom, the depth of his knowledge, the path that he takes, none of us know. But for this season, I'm going to take this truth that God has emphasized to me. And I'm going to do my very best to apply it. I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to say it. I'm going to think it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to study it. I'm going to pursue it. Do you think, do you honestly think that change would happen? Yes, because your mind would be renewed in the area the Holy Spirit is working on you in. And now you've got the work of the Spirit with the Word of God together in a, in a trifecta dynamic that, that He's working, you're working, His Word is working, and you've got a dynamic change happening. Dynamic change happening. So the last thought here, and I'll, I'll ask the worship team to come, is Transformation. I bet everyone here has at least one thing that you'd like to change in your life. Jesus said He came to give an abundant life, and that starts with this information. God is great. God is good. God is great. God is good. The facts in God's Word are greater than the feelings in my life. So Romans 12, we didn't finish verse 2. Let's finish it then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Could I even tell you how much more often people ask me that question 
than they ask me anything else? What is God's will in this situation? What does God want from me? What does God want me to do? And I can just say to you, the answer to that question always lies in the renewing of your mind. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. If I offer myself a living sacrifice, I don't try to contract it out. I don't try to get somebody else to just... God will speak through a multitude of resources. He will speak through me sometimes. He'll speak through loved ones. He'll speak through your spouse. He'll speak through your kids sometimes. He'll speak through books and resources. And He'll speak through all kinds of stuff. Because God loves you. He'll speak every way you'll listen. But the real way that you gain the discernment on the fact that it's Him doing the talking is a renewed mind. My unrenewed mind can't hear His voice. It's not because He's not talking. It's because I can't hear. But when I present myself as a living sacrifice and I renew my mind, start to apply the truth of God's Word to my life, my mind is being changed and renewed. And all of a sudden, I am seeing things I didn't see last week or yesterday or last month or when I was younger or before I was married or before I had kids or whatever. I'm starting to see some things I didn't see. A few years ago, um, we went with uh, my wife's family. There were 11 of us. We went to Disney World. And um, we got, I think we did uh, maybe one ride and we got 11 of us, you know, from like four years old to, to like 70. All right. Big group, big, big age variation. We got in line. We've been in line for an hour and a Florida torrential downpour hit. I'm talking about like rain that you, you're seriously considering what you could build a boat out of around you. Like, like the drainage system at Disney's not holding the water. People are walking with the water up midway on their calf muscle through the property. It's just clogged up and the water's backing up everywhere going, whoa. And it is not letting up and all the rides have been closed. And so we said, man, there's 11 of us. That's like, that's like $1,100 for one ride and one hour in line wait. I don't know if you how you do it at your house. That's not a bargain at our house. So we said, well, we're just going to go up to get services. Disney's the greatest people on earth. They'll give us the money back, and, and we'll, we'll come back another day, right? Well, we went up there. Oh, they're not having it. No, no, I'm sorry. You can stay, or, or that's it. No, no, you don't understand. We've ridden one ride. There's a le- Look at the children's face. Look at their eyes. These are children who have dreamed of this day for a year. And you're telling me you're not going to give us a range? Look, we can't come back. We're only going to be here for a few more days in the whole state. Can you? No, we're not doing it. Not doing it. So we had a choice. What are we going to do? And oh, oh, we had... You think pastors can't have bad attitude? You ought to have been there. I had attitude. I thought, oh, you guy, time you get off work. I'm going to fix this. I'll get the ticket. Take it from me. Get your little zip card and break into the Disney headquarters and take the tickets. Evil rose up in my heart. I thought, what are we going to do? Things I ought not to have been thinking were in my mind. We were there just barking. Then we kind of pulled it in. Kids are out. The stroller. They got, uh, you know, the uh, $81.59 worth raincoats over them, whatever that is. 
but Mickey and ears on it. Sitting there, I think this whole place is a sham. Hate this place. Never coming back to this the Disney world. Hate it. They're thieves, they're robbers, they're liars. They want nothing but your money. I don't know what illusion I was under outside of that before. Like they really wanted a relationship with me. Oh, here comes the West family. We've been waiting on it. It's a lie. We've been waiting on your money. So so we decided, what are we gonna do? We're gonna do something. Watch, we had to have a shift in the mind. Well, we're here. How much longer will they close? Eight hours. All right. Let's go. So we went out there and we said, look, we can't get more wet. We got nothing else to get wet. It's all wet. Like all the way to the bottom is wet. So like the rain, all we can do is get struck by lightning and die. I mean, there's nothing else that can happen to us. So let's just go out there in the rain and work it out. And we did. And, and look, have you ever seen the Alaskan uh, migration of trout when they all swim upstream? We were swimming upstream. 25,000 people were going that way. And we were going, excuse me, I'm sorry, excuse me. And they're like, moron, idiot, I can't believe a stupid guy. And we're going upstream thinking, oh, we are. We're morons, we're idiots, we're, but we're, we will not let Disney win. Jesus' name. So we're going in there. And we get in there, and about 30, 45 minutes, the storm pulls away enough, and they open all the rides, and we went up first in line, we got on the log flume. We thought water ride. I mean, of course. How would we not do the water ride? We've been in it for three hours. What is it going to do to us? What is it going to splash us? Woo! Yeah, that was a good one. Hair pasted to our face like wet rats. Up there. You couldn't even open your eyes in the ride because the rain was stinging like this, like icicles. You're like, woo! You should have seen the pictures when they froze. We're like, woo! Eyes were pasted shut. And we got off the ride, then we ran back to the front, and there was nobody there. And we got off the ride and ran back to the front, nobody was there. We're out there. And we did that all night long, and they had to tell us to go home. I'm sorry, sir, we're closing. you got to go home. And it was the best. i got to be honest with you. Every other trip to Disney has been a disappointment since then. It was the best trip we ever had. Loved it. The only thing I loved more is when we got home and took them wet claws off and stuck them to the wall. I mean, they were. I think we threw them away. Couldn't burn them. They wouldn't burn. They were done. You know, that's about the best night of sleep I've ever had. Something in our mind had to change. And when it did, our action changed. And when it did, our experience changed. And the whole thing was new. Would you just stand with me this morning? I want to ask the prayer team to come. And I want to ask you, everybody, if you just, if you don't have to leave, would you just stay a couple of minutes with us? And then I'll let you go. If you just don't have to leave, would you just stay? Every eye closed in the room. I just want to talk to you for a minute. Maybe you're here and you say, I need God's direction in an area of my life. Like, like you said a few minutes ago, that God would show me what area He's working on. I need God to show me. Because I don't even know what area He's working on, but I want Him to show me. With every eye closed, would you just lift a hand and say, I need to know that. I need God's help to know what He's doing in my life right now. I need clarity. I see your hand. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, just lift it up, man. I, I, I'm, it's just your confession to God. Yes, I see all in the Bible. Three, four, five, six hands. Yes, on the floor. Yeah. I just need God's help. I need, hey, the good news is God's good. He's here to help. It's not bad. He's good. Maybe you're here today and you say, there's an area of my life that needs change. I know what the area is. I know what the area is, but I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And I need God to help me. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I I know there's this area. I've been battling. I've been struggling. I've been fighting. I know there's this area. I need change, but I'm stuck and I don't know what to do now. Would you just lift your hand up and say, come on, just pray for me. Would you pray for me? Come on, lift your hand up. I see it. Yeah. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah. Yeah, just lift your hand up. Yeah, I, I, I need God. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Man, I need change. I know I know where I need it. I don't know what to do. I need God's help. Can I tell you these are the exact kind of prayers that God loves to answer? I'm going to pray for you right now. And, and as we pray, the worship team is going to begin to sing. And I'm going to ask you to move from where you are as we're praying. I want you lifted your hand. I just want you to come. The prayer team is here. They want to do nothing but pray with you and encourage you and help you take that step. They're going to pray and agree that you're going to have wisdom. You're going to have renewal. You're going to know what the next step is. You're going to know what God wants to do in your life. It's so important that you take this step. And then we're going to let everybody go. Lord, I thank you today for the power of God in this place. I thank you for renewal and transformation. I thank you for change. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are great. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. And I'm going to ask the worship team to...